Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Sherlock's Talks podcast with me, Charlotte Collins. It's estimated that more than a million women in the UK suffer with endometriosis, a condition which sees tissue grow outside the uterus, causing menstrual irregularities and excruciating pain. And yet, many women are left waiting years for a final diagnosis, forcing them to find alternative ways to cope with the symptoms in the meantime. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Shazadi Harper, a forward-thinking menopause and perimenopause well-being doctor and founder of the Harper Clinic on Harley Street and friend of Sherlock's makeup artist Lisa Potter-Dixon, who has talked candidly and frankly in recent years about her struggle with the disease. Welcome both. Thank you so much for being here. Lisa, in particular, thank you for being, I mean, both of you, thank you. <laughs> but, but Lisa in particular, because it's not an easy thing to talk about one's own personal health struggles, is it? No, definitely it is. But I think it's so important because like you mentioned, over a million women, and that's women we know of, suffer from this. And the more we talk about it, the more knowledge people have. So true. Um, Dr. Harper, let's start with the basics. What is endometriosis? So the um, lining of the womb is made up of endometrial cells. So those are the womb lining cells. And so endometriosis is when those cells are outside of the womb and so they respond to the hormones that we would normally respond to you know as part of our menstrual cycle but normally we'd have a period now because some of these cells are outside they've got nowhere to go so and it can cause inflammation so basically in a nutshell it's when those um, womb lining cells are outside of the womb and that's why it causes the pain and the problems and how does that happen why does that happen there's no real rhyme or reason, but we do know that maybe, you know, if your mother or family members might have had endometriosis, you might be a little bit more prone to it. Um, there may be some sort of autoimmune history, but really, you know, there's no sort of hard and fast rule why one woman gets it and another doesn't. Okay. Lisa, I'm going to ask you about your story, I guess, first and foremost, because you've got so many personal experiences with this and I think so many other questions come from your story. So if you don't mind kind of taking us back to the beginning and telling us about your journey with the disease. So I started my periods when I was 11, which is obviously early. Uh, and I was in so much pain from the beginning, monthly periods. And, you know, I just started senior school. So you can imagine that's stressful enough. And then to the point where I was throwing up, I was in agony. I was actually taken to hospital multiple times. But no one knew what it was. Um, and you're tested and you're tested. You're like this pin cushion <laughs> over and over. And it wasn't actually until I was 21 and I was at uni that finally I got diagnosed. And correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Harper, but the only true way to get a true diagnosis is through a laparoscopy, mm -hmm. which yeah. is a small operation. Uh, well, I say a small operation, I've had six. So it's not <laughs> that small, you're put to sleep still. Uh, cameras put through your belly and you're basically, they investigate and that's how they can see what Dr. Harper was talking about, the womb lining being outside. and. It's just been, you know, I'm 40 this year and so it's a long time that I've had it and I think the frustration with it is that people think that period pains are the same for everyone or they think that, oh, it's just period pains. It is not. It is excruciating. It is traumatic. 
It is, you know, one of the worst pains. My friends who have children who have seen me in the pain have said they can only compare it to childbirth, which is actually so cruel because for myself and for so many people, it's taken taken away our fertility. The good thing is that the conversation is happening now. It's the same with the menopause, perimenopause. These conversations are happening and it's so important. For me, I was put through things like the Zolodex injection when I was 21. That is putting you through a fake menopause for six months to try and stop everything, to try and regulate it. And it kind of worked. But like I say, I've had six of these operations now. I have stage four endometriosis, which is the worst. And on the last laparoscopy, and I'm seeing the UK specialist, Dr. Pooley, he told me he couldn't do any more for me and that was it. And I think that that was tough because I expected to come out of that laparoscopy and feel better for about a year because that's what tends to happen they clear it they almost burn it all away and then you can get on with your life without pain for maybe a year or four years and then he told me my only option now is to have a hysterectomy Mm. and that's still not a cure so in a nutshell (laughs) that is everything that's happened and it it is a chronic disease Mm. and that's what people need to understand it's not your fault if you have it and if you have period pains that are excruciating go to your doctor and fight for a diagnosis yeah I mean god there's so much to unpack there in terms of the kind of let's go back to the beginning a little bit in terms of the pain is that monthly that is with every period that you're talking about it's actually more than that because sometimes my pain's worse when I ovulate so for me I would say I'm a five out of ten pain 100% of the time and I'm just so used to that now Mm. and I would say twice a month and it can last for an hour it can last for three or four days I'm at about an eight to a 10 out of 10 pain. You've written about this on your website and I was reading what you wrote this morning and you had said that people often say to you, oh, you must just have a low pain threshold, but you're you're pretty ballsy. You're made of strong (laughs) stuff, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, I actually think women in particular have such a high pain threshold, but when we have any type of chronic illnesses, I think that I personally know my pain threshold is super high. Mm. It's almost the opposite because of this. So when I'm saying I'm at a, you know, eight out of 10 pain, Mm. that's me on the floor, can't move. Yeah. You know? Dr. Harper, a laparoscopy, just explain a little bit about the process. Lisa said, you know, it can it can clear up the endometriosis. I mean, what what does it look like? What does that mean? What does the procedure entail? Well, I think Lisa covered it. And Lisa, thanks for sort of explaining it really, really well. And, you know, your own journey. So a lap- laparoscopy is keyhole surgery. So you are, you know, put to sleep, you know, in the sense of a general anaesthetic. You know, a little um, incision is made below your belly button usually. And basically it's a camera looking inside. And it's looking for those cells and the damage that they've caused, you know, outside of the womb because they can cause scarring they can cause what's called adhesions um, inflammation you know pelvic inflammatory disease and that's why women feel this pain and I think you know going back to you Lisa I think because people think oh periods are normal then they think oh period pains are normal and women should just put up with them or suffer you know experiencing them but you know as she said they are excruciatingly painful some women faint you know they pass out and there's no blood test to diagnose endometriosis you can't go for an ultrasound scan you know and pick it up which I think unfortunately sometimes some women are sent off for a scan and they miss out on this laparoscopy because that is the only definitive diagnosis and I have to tell you sorry because I've just crossed my fingers to remember this because I think it's important the way it's the seriousness in how it's taken needs to change because I'll give you a really good example a few months ago I was in 
so much pain. Now, I'm very good at controlling my pain now, by the way. Yoga, breathing, swimming, all these things have helped me so much. I'm sure we'll touch on that later. But I was in so much pain that my uh, body paralyzed. Um, my hands paralyzed. Theo, my husband, was just like, oh my God, I've never seen you like this. We had to phone an ambulance. And we phoned an ambulance. We tried 111. That we couldn't get through. So uh, Theo was like, I'm phoning an ambulance. This is it. So we phoned them. We got through. We were saying about all of my symptoms that, you know, I was literally, I couldn't speak. My body was like shutting down in some respect. We didn't know what was happening. And then they were like, okay, no problem, blah, 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 asking all these questions. Has she got any diseases? And we said, yeah, endometriosis. And they went, okay, call us back if it gets worse and put the phone down. Wow. Gosh, so even medical professionals just aren't taking it seriously. How did you get out of that? So it took hours. I Theo put me, carried me into a bath because hot wow. water is one of the things that helps. And so you didn't even get medical attention. No, no. Wow. I, he just had to like carry me into bed. I was, you know, we were just like, I can't believe that because it's endometriosis that the ambulance wouldn't come. You know, I understand they're under a lot of pressure, but when you're you know you're not overreacting. Mm. But I think it's going back to that question of, you know, because it's natural, because, you know, it's menstrual cycle, you know, it's, mm. you know, they just assume or a lot of people assume that, you know, why are you complaining? And on average, it does take about seven or eight years for a woman to get a mm. diagnosis. You know, she can be going backwards and forwards to a GP multiple times before she gets that diagnosis. And that's why, in a way, it's diagnosed late. Yeah. Because you were saying, Lisa, you know, you think you've had it since your period started. Yeah. And for most women, when their periods do start, you know, whether it's 11 or 12, the first couple of years are irregular, you know, and they can be heavy. And that's embarrassing in itself. You know, you're, you're standing up and thinking, you know, have I flooded through? It's uncomfortable. It's painful. Women lose days off school, off work because of this. And yet it takes so long to sort of be mm. picked up. Well, without wishing to be political about it, I'm sure if it was universal, it would get sorted a lot sooner. <laughs> yeah. Does one automatically have endometriosis from birth, from the age at which your period starts, how how does it develop within your body? I think that's difficult to say because of when it's picked up and diagnosed. So you don't know, you know, were those cells lying outside of the womb and then when puberty kicks in and your hormones start to, you know, your ovaries start to produce hormones, that's why they then um, become active. Mm. So... It is difficult to say that, you know, you know, whether or not you were born with it or not. Mm -hmm. um, but, we, you know, we, we know that that's when they get active, when your ovaries start producing your hormones, estrogen, progesterone and following that menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. Are there varying degrees of it? Lisa obviously mentioned that she was stage four. Are there varying? Presumably that means there are stages one, two and three. What does that mean? And does that determine the level of pain and the symptoms that you experience? You know, funnily enough, I was looking this up and it said that, you know, sometimes, well, usually the pain doesn't always necessarily correlate to the degree of endometriosis. Okay. You know, it can be that depending on where those cells are, you know, you could be in excruciating pain. And yet, you know, when you go in with a camera, maybe, you know, there aren't as many cells as you thought. So it's not a direct correlation, you know, because the cells can be, you know, on your fallopian tubes, you know, they, they can be in your pelvis, they, they can cause, you know, adhesions to your bowels. So, you know, it, it can very much be, you know, the pain is not dependent on the number of cells that are, that are out there. So sorry, just to be clear, the cells being on certain ones of those areas would determine how painful it was. Yeah, so if yeah. it was on... It's know. like glue, the way I think okay. about it, is it's like glue in your womb. And actually... 
the misconception is that actually it just just stays in your womb. Mm. It can actually spread on other organs in your body wow. as well. But the bowel in particular, so my bowel is has got worse and worse over the years in terms of where it's stuck to. Mm-hmm. I'm quite lucky that it doesn't affect me yet. This is the reason I couldn't have my last laparoscopy because it has got so much worse on the bowel and that then becomes a different type of specialist Understood. who needs to do an operation. But absolutely, I think that's completely right that it's where it is depends on the pain because if you think about it, because it's like glue, every time you move, it's kind of moving and stretching and sticking things together. So my ovaries, my fallopian tubes and my bowel are all stuck together. So everything is together now. It never used to be that way, Mm -hmm. but it's got worse and worse over the years. So it also means that if you are told that you have stage one endometriosis, the unfortunate thing is, is that it might end up Mm. getting worse. And the frustration that continues for this is that there is not enough research. There is not a cure. There is nothing that necessarily can be done. And I think that's the question I get asked the most. What can we Mm. do? I'm like, well wish I knew (laughs) good question and that's maybe why it was more of a disappointment coming out of your last laparoscopy thinking I've been to this specialist and coming away with no hope or no yeah I mean he was really upset I mean he Mm. Dr Pooley who is an incredible man who has been researching endometriosis his entire career um he has looked after me for about 12 years so to come out of that and not be able to do anything he was very very upset about it Um, but I feel lucky that I had that answer Mm. because like we were mentioning earlier, I mean, I had to go private by the way, Mm -hmm. and I paid for that out myself. You know, it's a lot of money, but I thought I just have to get it done. Mm -hmm. But this is the issue. We love our NHS. It's an amazing, amazing, you know, thing that we have, but because it's not prioritized, it is, as you mentioned earlier, Dr. Harper, hard for people to get these laparoscopies, Mm. which is why I always say, and I'm sure you agree, you have to push and push and it affects your entire life. And I will say mental health as well. Mm. Absolutely. And unfortunately with COVID and the pandemic and lockdowns, actually, you know, um, the stats are that the gynae operations, the waiting list for them are the longest Mm. at, at this moment in time. And I think, you know, the NHS is stretched um, yeah. And it's difficult for women to get that care that they need. And also, women's health isn't always necessarily prioritised. Mm. There is a gender health inequality going on. Lisa, you said that a hysterectomy wouldn't help. That's what you were told. Is that because it has spread to your bowel? So, yeah, they're, they're saying it's my last option now. I mm. think that it's because it's everywhere, because we pretty much know we can't have kids. We've done IVF. We've done all of it. Like, we know that we can't. We're fine with that now, mm. you know. We have a great life. Theo and I have been together 18 years. You know, I'm lucky to have the love of my life and to have such a great life. And my dogs, obviously. (laughs) But it is the only option. And it's definitely something I'm really considering. But I only knew, found out when I started to talk about this, that it isn't a cure. I didn't even know that. Mm. I assumed because they remove everything, that that's it, it's gone. But it's not the case, is it? Well, no. And and just for those who don't know, hysterectomy is, you know, surgery to remove your womb. And it can be to remove also your fallopian tubes as well. So it is a major operation. It's a psychological operation. Mm. You know, women who've suffered with endometriosis, you know, one of the um, unfortunate 
sort of, I suppose, effects of it can be that you can have subfertility or not be able to have children, which isn't something that they have to deal with. You know, it's a loss. And then you're taking their womb away from mm. them, you know, which is psychologically, you know, really um, impacting their mental mm. health. So, yes, you know, you, you remove the womb. Maybe you think you've cleared it. But then, like we said, maybe in your bowel, it may be, you know, somewhere else. And these cells can be anywhere. You know, we, we, there are cases of women having endometriosis in their lungs. So wow. basically, they're having a period in their lung on a monthly basis. Gosh. So, so yes, but what it might do is reduce the pain because it's re- taken away many mm. of the cells. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I've spoken to a lot of women that have had it and they've said it's changed their life for the better. Okay. It's definitely changed their life. But I'm trying everything else first. You know, I'm trying holistic stuff. Mm. I'm trying, like, I've tried Chinese medicine, you know, I'm trying changing my diet, mm-hmm. you know, more exercise, everything. I'm uh, Before I make that huge decision, yeah. I've got the marina coil in, which is what they... Um, managed to do it when I had the laparoscopy he said well we've at least put this coil in Mm -hmm. because that is something else that does help it's been six months now seven months and it's been a bit of a bloody nightmare because Mm -hmm. it has been very painful but now my periods are lighter light yeah lighter my frustration now is that I can't work out when they actually are or when I'm actually ovulating so I'm like oh why I'm in this pain (laughs) but it's definitely helping so I'm going to give that a good 12 months before I make a decision because like you say it's an eight hour operation it's a three-month recovery Mm. it's big it's big big. yeah the cells if they're in other parts of your body you know if they are in your bowel if they're I mean lungs that sounds pretty horrific how can you even if you go ahead with a hysterectomy or something can you then get rid of those cells through other means or or do you just have to live with them at that point so Lisa touched on it you know ablation you know basically burning them off Mm -hmm. um so you can reduce them and you know for many women you know you can go in and you could and you can sort of um, ablate them you can burn them off um but you may not get every single one and they grow back, right? That's why it right. only lasts a year or so. Yeah, right, exactly. So the five that, five times that they were able to do that for me, mm-hmm. it, by the way, it really helped. Mm. Just, you know, and obviously if you've got a lesser stage, it might help even more, you yeah. know. So don't be put off if you've been, you know, if you're listening to this and, you, and you've heard about a laparoscopy and you're thinking of having it, it was the best thing that I did five times, you okay. know, like... It really was. And it helped me so much with the pain. And also, if you are trying to get pregnant, it is a really good thing to do and then try and get pregnant. Especially those early stages. You know, when yes. if you're stage one, stage two, if you're in those early stages, that's why it needs to be diagnosed sooner. Absolutely. And, you know, it needs to be spoken about at school. Mm-hmm. We are so shit at talking mm-hmm. about women's health at school. Women need to understand. Girls need to understand. And men, you know, everyone needs to understand women's health you and even if it's things talking about the menopause etc because our pet mum would be going through it you know but endometriosis needs to be made more accessible to people because they need to understand that it's okay to be going through this pain you know I I have to tell you about this lady who messaged me I'm obviously not going to mention her name but she did tell me I could say this she works in a male dominated environment and had been going through period pains like horrendous like and the men and obviously there's so many supportive men out there, mm. by the way, but the men she was working with, there was a few of them that were basically taking the piss out of her pain every single month, telling her that she was pathetic and mm. telling her, and it had been going on for years to the point where she was was suicidal. Gosh. Then she read the article I did for the Sunday Times and had never heard of endometriosis, went to the doctor, got diagnosed with stage four, wow. and then left her job and just said, it's just changed my life just having 
that diagnosis. So this is why it's so amazing that Sheer Lux are talking about this. I mean, you guys are so great at talking about women's health anyway, but it's so important that we have the conversation and have the conversation with your friends. Mm. Have If you've got children, you know, teenagers, have the conversation because the one thing I wish I was told was to freeze my eggs. I wish I'd been told that in my 20s. So so that's, I want to ask about fertility, Dr. Harper, and how it works. I mean, so you mentioned just before about the stages and, and fertility affecting that. So somebody like Lisa, who's a stage four, were they at a certain point, stage one, two, and three? Is that how it works? And you're more fertile in those early stages. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Well, potentially, um, it's not necessarily you're more fertile, but it affects uh, your fertility yeah. less, sure. Um, and so, yes, so maybe if, if you know, yeah. things had been picked up at that stage one, she may have had ablation, you know, following on mm. from sort of her laparoscopy, and then. Yes, there may well have been sort of an increased chance at that particular point in time. So that's why, you know, catching it early or not catching it, but, you know, finding mm-hmm. out about it, talking about it, you know, that word endometriosis. And, you know, how many of you have actually heard it, mm. you know, out there and things. Mm. So so I, I think that's why you're right. It needs to be spoken about in school because I think women just think or girls think, oh, it's just period pains. But, you know, if you're passing out, you know, sometimes it can be really heavy periods. Mm. You can get flooding. You may get anemic. You know, fatigue is a big symptom mm, as well. Yeah. And also, if it's mentally draining, and so that also tires you out, it can impact your career um, and your career choices. Um, and so, yes, that's why in schools we need to be talking about it to girls, to boys, and just, you know, just pe- making it part of the normal curriculum. Yeah, damn right. In terms of fertility then, how, I mean, let's let's talk science first of all. How is it that it affects, I mean, that might sound, you know, like I'm stating the obvious because of, of, of course, where it's located, but how is it exactly that it affects one's fertility? Well, because you've got these cells sort of everywhere or, you know, sort of outside of the womb and they're, and, and they're responding, it causes inflammation. Mm. So it's that inflammation then that sort of impacts the, your fertility. And, you know, they, they don't have anywhere to go. So when you're having your menstrual cycle, when you're bleeding, those cells are bleeding, um, you know, there's nowhere for them to go. That inflammation is being caused. And so, you know, it, it is, you know, women find it very difficult then to conceive. Mm-hmm. It's tox- it makes a toxic yeah. environment is okay. basically the way I've been told. So exactly what Dr. Harper said, because you're bleeding externally as well as internally, basically, it's causing a toxic environment, which a lot of the time, even if you can get pregnant, which has Mm. happened to me multiple times, you can't hold it. So you can hold it for weeks or whatever, but then that's it because it suddenly becomes, you know, it's like it almost, your body's poisoning. Yeah. Basically. Inhospitable. At least you touched on on freezing your eggs. I mean, then how does that, if it's such non-hospitable environment, can that work? Can one carry a baby even at that stage? Well, I suppose it gives her the option, you know, to have a surrogate, you know, to have somebody else Mm -hmm. carry, you know, carry the baby. So, you know, you can still have a baby then, you know, and it it gives you choices. Mm. Right now, you know, um, otherwise women lose that choice. Mm -hmm. 
purposes. Yeah. And I also think that the reason that I'd wish I'd been told that is because when I got to the point that we did IVF, as an example, my eggs were much weaker because of the endometriosis. Whereas if I'd made that decision, you know, Theo and I were together from the age of 21, if maybe at 28 I'd made that decision, you know, we all know that our eggs get weaker and weaker as we get older anyway, but at least then I would have been able to have a better chance but again like you say surrogacy and all of that kind of route as well but I think it's just having the option understood yeah can we talk about birth control and hormones you talked about the coil Mm. how does that play into it so if we go back to basics in a sense when puberty happens you know our hormones estrogen and progesterone start kicking in and estrogen is a hormone that causes sort of the thickening of the womb lining and ovulation and then progesterone hormone is you know often we call it that fertility hormone and so it sort of holds on to the egg so you know because the womb lining responds to estrogen so by you know putting somebody onto the pill combined pill then it can keep the womb lining thin you know, and the same with the Mirena call. It's got progesterone on it. So that progesterone keeps the womb lining in place and thin. And so you're not having that sort of monthly bleed and contractions in the same way as you would not you would have had had you not been on contraception. And that's why sometimes women are put into this artificial menopause, like you talked about Zolodex mm. injections. You know, it can also come as a nasal spray or, you know, other forms of injections. Um, that what that's doing is it's basically shutting down your ovaries so you're no longer producing those hormones to cause that sort of hormonal cycle. Mm. Um, and, and that's how it works. And so that's how it works to sort of alleviate the pain, the suffering that women are going through. Mm. I mean, I would say it's shit, you know, we shouldn't have to deal with it. Like hormones, we all know hormones affect us in so many different ways, whether it be emotionally, whether it be exhaustion, like we've mentioned already. So it is not great having to do all of those things but if it helps with the pain over anything Mm. I would say it's worth it you know speaking to your GP speaking to a gynecologist getting advice but I would also say on top of that you have to look after yourself don't you you have to stay healthy. You know, I gave up drinking milk. That made a massive change. I don't eat gluten, uh, things like that. Exercise, because of the exhaustion, I get asked a lot, how do I keep up my energy? Because mm. I'm a very high, you know, level energy <laughs> level, however you want to say it. <laughs> You're a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love a party. <laughs> but for me, exercise has helped so much because when I was in bed, in pain, I made myself get up, do yoga, go swimming, you know, they're my two main things, go for a walk. And I would say, do not let this disease beat you. You You're so strong. And I think that as women, we are so strong that I just think that you have to get that mind over matter. So even though there are things that can control the pain slightly, which again is the, you know, the hormone pill or whatever, just let your mind remember how strong you are. Yeah. Great advice. And it is individual. You know, for Absolutely. one woman, a marina might suit her. For another, a combined pill may suit her. One, Another woman, it may be that Zolodex injection because it's at different degrees of pain mm. and, and it's about sort of individualizing it for her. And totally, I agree with you. You know, think about things that can reduce that inflammation. Think about your diet, you know, think, things that can sort of help you, your mind and your body. 
and and like you said, exercise. But you don't have to go and do a hit class. No, I you know? can't. I can't. <laughs> no, yes, yeah. And you so listen to your body. You know, your your hormones are really important. They're the, our messaging systems within our body. And so listen to it. You, we don't have to go out and do those kind of extreme strenuous exercises, but things like yoga, you know, meditation, swimming, walking. You know, all of those things. We need to maintain doing that on top of everything else. I'll tell you something that's actually I think made a big effect for me that I've only been doing for about eight months is taking supplements. So I spoke to a brand called Wild Nutrition because their founder, Henrietta, has endometriosis. So she started her brand around endometriosis, basically, to create a product called Endocomplex. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to try it after this laparoscopy. And I had a consultation with them, which they just offer. And then they advised me on different supplements to take. Turmeric, I think, has made a big difference to me because it's anti-inflammatory. And then their Endocomplex, obviously, it's different for everyone, but I've taken a few things. It has been a game changer for me, as has taken Simproof because of the, again, the probiotics, probiotics, gut health, Mm. because I have, I think I have IBS as well, but who knows, it could just be a side effect of endo, Mm. but doing that has really helped. Well, when you're stressed, you know, that causes irritable bowel syndrome, you know, when you are emotional, it affects it, so, and also you can get the endometriosis affecting your bowels as well, so you can get bloating symptoms as well, so, you know, a really good probiotic is helpful, Mm. I think, you know, taking anti-inflammatory supplements like turmeric, like omega-3, you know, are really good, I think the B vitamins are great for women to help sort of balance their mood hormones, and magnesium, because it's a relaxant as well, and so I often think with women, you know, we have such pacey lives it can be very difficult to get all of our sort of nutritional needs just from food alone and so yes taking a good supplement is 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 a good idea that's one way of helping what else is there out there in terms of pain management i mean there's painkillers Presumably yeah. one doesn't want to spend their life on Advil, but what else What else can you do to, to diminish the pain? So there are pharmacological treatments. You know, you can get different strengths of, you know, painkillers from your GP or over the counter. But I think, you know, things like we talked about heat helping. I, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, Lisa, but, you know, there's a lovely hot water bottle called Yuyu that you can just wrap around yeah, you. I, I, I love that. <laughs> I've been there, done that, yeah. Um, but, but also things like swimming, you know, and yoga, meditation, breathing exercises. You know, don't underestimate make the power of breathing you know I've started to do that because I find that you know life's always a bit sort of stressful you get a little bit anxious you can slow yourself down a bit and you know slowing yourself down is a good thing as Mm. well at times so there are the alternatives to do acupuncture may help Um, you mentioned Chinese medicine although you know there's no scientific evidence behind it but you know sometimes the power of placebo can be amazing for women so I think it's finding something that helps you that works for you and um, you know sort of doing that Lisa anything you tried that really didn't work oh my god I've tried it all (laughs) do you know I feel that for me actually the things that I have tried have all worked in some sense. There's definitely things that have worked more than others. Talking of acupuncture, I have one of those like bed of nails, acupuncture oh, yeah. mats, and I lie on it religiously for 20 minutes every day. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it is the basics of having a bath and a hot water bottle that are the things that help me the most. Mm-hmm. Things that haven't worked. I was actually advised to start running. And that was like the worst thing I was told to do because you're jumping up and down basically when you're running and it really screws with your insides okay. as you can imagine yeah. it's moving a lot so like jiggling yeah, yeah exactly and things like hit I can't do mm-hmm. but but I would say yeah just getting a good hot water bottle my all-time favorite hot water bottle cover is one from toast okay and it's just like a really fluffy one because I just think 
we deserve <laughs> a really good hot water Damn right, bottle. you invest in your hot water bottle. And put it on your back rather than okay. your stomach. Lower back helps a lot. Makes sense. Any other lifestyle choices that you can make? I mean, Lisa's talked about food, cutting out certain foods. Are there certain choices that you should be making? Well, we talk about sort of anti-inflammatory diets and, and things that, you know, can help to improve your gut health. So, you know, whilst you may not be celiac disease, maybe cutting out gluten might be mm-hmm. helpful, you know, cutting down on dairy. So yes, you know, diets can help. Having sort of oily fish, which have a lot of omegas in them, you know, those those kind of things can really help. And also maybe diets which help sort of balance your estrogen, you know, your hormonal levels, like mm. with flax seeds in them. And, and so also, having live yogurts to sort of get this sort of good gut bacteria going. Dr. Harper, you specialise in perimenopause and the menopause. Can you just talk a little bit about endometriosis in relation to that stage of life? You know, assuming you haven't had a hysterectomy and you're going through those kind of, in inverted commas, normal, you know, that normal process, then... How does it affect it and what happens? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I find kind of disappointing is when women do come along to clinic and they maybe just be in their early 40s, they've just been diagnosed and they've been suffering for so long. But I think the thing to sort of put out there is endometriosis sufferers can still can get the same treatment as any other woman. Women say, well, can I take HRT? You know, will that cause my endometriosis to sort of proliferate, multiply? And I say, well, no, because your natural hormones are starting to decline. We're not sort of topping you up and boosting your hormones to super level. So I just want women to understand that they don't have to suffer through their perimenopause and menopause. They can still come and see their doctor and they can still go on HRT. Okay, good to know. Any other myths about endometriosis that, I mean, either of you would like to dispel other than people's lack of knowledge around it, lack of understanding of the pain? Is there anything else that bugs you on the subject? Well, I have one that I don't know if it's true or not that you might know, Dr. Harper. People say that when you have a baby, it gets rid of the endometriosis. No. That's something I've heard so many times. That it would like flush it out. Yeah, that basically you have a baby and then it's gone. It can't be true, can it? No, because, you know, you're still having hormones and you're still having periods afterwards. The only time that it quietens down is menopause because your ovaries have shut down. And if you then you don't go into any treatment. Right. And it was good to know about the HRT thing because, again, you hear all these mixed reviews. And I think that's what it is. There is so many myths out there that knowing what is actually correct is Mm. important. Let's talk about resources around the subject. You know, we said several times that it's it's so under-researched, under-talked about. Lisa, in your piece on your site, you spoke about a documentary that has come out called Below the Belt, which is exec produced by Hillary Clinton, which is, I mean, that's quite a that's quite a thing to have have been put out there given how few people seem to know about the subject. I mean, that's obviously one great resource out there. Where else can you go? What else can you watch? Who else can you read about? You've also done an amazing detox in the past few years, which has really helped. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the resources out there other than the obvious? Honestly, the problem is, is that there isn't lots. Mm. There is an endometriosis charity mm-hmm. in the UK who are good for just the facts. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it's a struggle to find the research because it's not accessible a lot of the time is it and you know this is great that this documentary has come out etc the more we speak about it like we've spoken about today the better it is but I found it really hard to find anywhere which Mm. is why I wanted to speak about it yeah well less money is spent on endometriosis research than erectile dysfunction Hmm. so well-being of women is a great charity actually they're doing a lot of research into endometriosis and to put into perspective one in ten women suffer with endometriosis Mm. so it's not you know 
it's not just a very few women that get this. So, so yeah, it definitely more money needs to be ploughed into it. More research needs to be done into it. And Wellbeing of Women is a charity I know that are doing something about it. And I think that talking just to your friends as well, you know, we all, we love to chat, you know, girls do. So I think that a lot of women feel alone in this. I think, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking I might have it or I have got it, you are not alone because there is that one in 10 women. So it's more than likely that you know someone else that has it. So having that conversation to not feel alone is really, really important. But I can't tell you this is a source mm. that will give you the answers. I think some women do connect on social media. I mm, think yeah. Instagram's been great, you know, over sort of the pandemic, the last couple of years. I've seen it within perimenopause and menopause. So I think, you know, women are connecting with other women. And like you said, not feeling alone is the most important thing because often you think, it's is it just me? But actually there are many more women out there, you know, experiencing the same thing as you. Isa, you touched before on having to go private to get the extent of help that you needed. I know you're both keen to emphasize that you start with a GP, right? That's obviously your first port of call. You've got to be pushy, as you said, yeah. and and how, I mean, Dr. Harper, maybe you can, can shine some light on kind of where you go from there. If you're, you know, are there specialists out there on the NHS? Does one have to go private? What, what else can you do to get that help? Well, ideally, one shouldn't have to go privately, but you do have to go to your GP first. And I think you, you said it right in the sense of you may have to be pushy. Mm. You may have to keep going back. And if that GP is not listening, maybe go to another one within the practice. But the next step would be that the GP would refer you to the gynecologist mm -hmm. and the gynecologist would arrange the laparoscopy for you. So so it is a bit of, a, it, you know, there are steps in the process, but your first port of call would be your, your GP. Mm -hmm. And I also think that when you get to that gynecologist point, they might just try and give you a scan. So my cousin is in this position at the moment where she thinks she has endo and they've given her a scan and said, oh yeah, we think you've got it. You cannot see the extent of endometriosis in a scan. You can see because it causes cysts as well on your ovaries a lot of the time. They can potentially see the shadows of the cysts, right? But they can't diagnose it. And she's at a stop, full stop now. It's almost like that the answer well it's not mm. that you need that laparoscopy and I think that like Dr Harper you just mentioned it is just going backwards and forwards that's the annoying thing but you have to do it to get that mm. operation because you may get misdiagnosis of like polycystic ovaries yes you know and I think that's why you can't just have an ultrasound scan you know if you think that you've got endometriosis if you've got a family member who's got it you know as I said earlier you have a higher chance then you have to push for that laparoscopy mm -hmm. and also what we need to remember which I didn't know might be common knowledge but all the specialist doctors work for the NHS as well as private. So the reason I went private was because Dr. Pooley on the NHS waiting time was an, a year and a half, and it was one week wow. if I went private, but it cost me three grand. Yeah. It's so much money, but I was at a point where I was like, I just need to get the answers for this now. Yeah. We shouldn't have to pay, but if you have private healthcare as well, um, and again, this might be different for everyone, but from my knowledge, um, unfortunately, a lot of private healthcare doesn't cover women's fertility, but it will cover the first laparoscopy mm -hmm. because you don't have the answers. So you don't know that it is a women's fertility issue. But also, it's a women's medical issue. It's yeah, about, it's about exactly. living with chronic pain. It's not a, I mean, I, it impacts fertility, fertility, but it's not a fertility issue. Exactly, it? exactly. Wild. So if you have private healthcare or if you feel that you can afford that more, you know, the £25 a month rather than the mm. paying out them... I feel like that's also an option to look into. Yeah, obviously that's that's if you're later in the day and, you know, hopefully Completely. we'll we'll be speaking to some people who are catching it early and have a bit more time to wait. Any last words of advice, Dr. Harper? You first, any anything from a medical perspective? 
I just don't want women to keep suffering. And I think, you know, keep banging on that door, you know, and get that diagnosis. You know, don't wait until you're 40 or, you know, you know, you should be able to get that diagnosis in your teens. So and, and, and like we said earlier on, getting that diagnosis early is really important if you are a woman who wants to have children at some point. And I would say that you're going to be okay. I think that's really important to remember that you will be okay and you are not alone. If you feel that you've got no one to speak to, you know, please feel free to DM me, DM Sherlux, you know, DM Dr. Harper. We can literally have this conversation with you and and just know the support is out there. But just remember you are going to be okay great words for advice thank you both so much we will put all the resources mentioned in the show notes below we'll link also lisa to uh the post on your site as well and uh for more information about dr harper as well thank you for both joining us and thank you for listening if you have any feedback at all please do email podcast at sheerlux.com we love hearing from you don't forget to rate review subscribe and tell your friends and we'll see you next time bye-bye When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.